0: It's time for a new episode of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes and Google Play. I'm your host Renee and welcome back. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another week this week to start off the show we've got an ncaa champion i've never won an ncaa championship just conference championships so i don't know what it's like to be on the court when the confetti's flying but daryl reynolds the former villanova men's basketball standout does he talks about that infamous 2016 game as chris jenkins hit a buzzer beater and nova knocked off unc and the country and basketball world went crazy get to that and much more as he's now also working in media and broadcasting then in our soccer segment this week we've got rudy gonzalez the uefa a licensed coach who shares his experiences learning about the game all over the world specifically in spain and the united states the differences he's seen between european soccer and united states soccer plus his work to teach the next generation And we have a treat for you guys. Fantasy football is here. And I'm not talking about it, but my good colleague, Will Morgan, is going to get into his week one pick for someone you should keep an eye on in fantasy football. So stay tuned every week for Will's Fantasy Footballers. Now, in our Positive Vibes Only segment, we've got the first of 21, yes, 21 children. Awful siblings, that is. That is Paul Lamar Hunter, who's going to be talking about his life, his childhood, And how he's written one book with many more exciting things up his sleeves to come in the future. Now to close the show this week, it's Isaiah Lee. From out of Delaware, he's headlined for three tours. He's open for musicians and artists such as Ja Rule. He's closing the show with a hit that you do not want to miss. And as always... I have to remind you, be sure to follow Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington across all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, our website. Also check out my personal pages at Renee P. Wash on Twitter. Say it with me now, at Renee P. Washington on Facebook and Instagram. So I really hope you are looking forward to this episode as much as I am. A lot of great things to come. Sit back, relax. Hopefully you're recovered from your Labor Day weekend and you're ready to enjoy Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington.
1: It's time to go beyond the headlines Cause I don't put in overtime Just so I can headline, okay Now it's Fox Sports, I'm live with Renee, Going hard every day, sports rapping every play Different segments for your favorites Coming at you daily With positive vibes, yeah, we some game changers Basketball, football, soccer With different interviews, you never know who may pop up Listen, only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines Only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines on the
2: Headlines. This, is the Headlines with Renee this week, joining us to talk about his basketball career and more is Daryl Reynolds, Villanova basketball alum, professional basketball player overseas, and host of Stay Tuned with D-Ray. D-Ray, welcome to the show.
3: What's going on with you?
2: Not much. I'm glad to have you here because I would, I'm i so excited to get your perspective and experiences, and, and so much more. So you got to be part of one of the greatest moments in NCAA history across all sports, in my opinion. Back in April 2016, when you guys won the NCAA championship, Chris Jenkins hits a buzzer beater, the only buzzer beater ever in NCAA history, and the world went crazy. I mean, I, I don't where I was watching from, we were screaming. I mean, talk to me about that experience and just kind of the – the excitement around winning the first championship for Villanova in over 30 years, the second ever in program history and being a part of that. I can only imagine. It was,
3: it was crazy. Um, I think that the craziest part of the entire experience is like, we've all like played with Chris long enough. So we knew the way he stepped into that shot. It was going in. Like we all talked about it afterwards. It was like that moment. It felt like forever. Um, <laughs> in those moments, like, leading up to him uh, stepping into it and actually going in. It felt like it was like a lifetime. But, no, nah, it was like we all knew it was going to go in. Um, just like I said, just seeing the way he shot it, it took a second. Like, because the cannon went off so quickly, we really expected uh, maybe them to review it or something like that. But because that cannon had went off so quickly, we just, we uh, we all ran up there pretty quick. Yeah. One
2: yeah. That was my next question. If you, like, if you guys knew it was going in, and now, like, I'm sure it's something you still talk about to this day with people. Um, but when, oh. you, when you guys beat UNC like that, that was just, it was incredible. What was kind of like, I'm sure Millanova campus was insane. I know all of, like, Philly was insane. But um, for you to be <laughs> alongside your teammates in that moment and moving forward, talk me through that experience. You know, all your hard work paid off. You guys won a championship, confetti's flying in the air, and just being a part of such a historic moment.
3: Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It was was bittersweet. Um, Okay. And I hate to be pessimistic about it, but it was the fact that we were juniors. You know, me, Chris, and Josh were juniors at that point. So we knew, oh, man, it was like it was awesome. It was great. You know, it happened. And then it was this moment of like, oh, damn, we have to come back.
4: <laughs> um
3: and not necessarily come back and do it again, but we just understood like it's never gonna be the same. You know, and it's one thing for that to kind of be like, you know, I was talking about uh you know, Arch, Brian Arce Daniel Chefu, Patrick Farrell, Henry Lowe, Kevin Rafferty, uh all those guys, that was it. That was the, that was their that was their mountaintop. Yeah. Like once they after that that was it. They were done with college and that was like their fondest memory. For us it was like, all right, we have to go through this and now come back. And um, to be quite honest, it was, a, it, was, it was a weird space because we couldn't – it was like you couldn't really tell if it was a rooting for – if people were necessarily rooting for it at that point or it was rooting to see, you know, how long it would last until it fell. Like, for example, one paper that uh, had a picture of me and Josh kind of taking a silly picture up at the, the Big East tournament. It was a Philadelphia paper, and it said, uh, the hangover, question mark. Mm. And I was just like, oh, God. Like, I just, I couldn't help but feel like a, a headline like that was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like people show up for the Titanic. It's like some people are going to see, you know, all right, I want to see this ship sail. Some people are like, I want to see it fail. You know what I mean? Like, you never know what people's true intentions. So it put us in a weird space on the bitter side. But the sweet side of it was in the same way. Life was never the same. Um we got right. back to campus, we were welcomed throughout the city. The city it welcomed us in a different way. Um, kind of the whole stigma of Villanova not being a Philly school kind of
5: mm-hmm.
3: evaporated over those couple months. But it was great. The parade was great. Campus life was a lot different, but it was fun. You know, it was a buzz that was going on around in the city, and it kind of it played right into the Sixers' success. I'm not saying we were responsible for it, but it was all like around the same time the Sixers started to get good. Um, the Eagles won a championship, obviously, the following year. So, you know, it was nice. It was nice to see everything kind of coming together at once and that we were kind of the ones that – I'm not going to say started, I would never say that, but we were there for the early days of that. So it was nice.
2: Yeah, that you, you say a lot of things that really stand out to me, and one being the fact that, you know, when you win a championship or when you do well in anything, you just set the bar higher. So winning an NCAA championship, that's the highest you can go. I mean, the only thing better would be to, I guess, go undefeated and win a championship. Like there's there's not much more you could do once you've won an NCAA championship. So it is kind of like you have people that are, you know, waiting on your downfall, so to speak. You know, they're 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 trying to see how you bounce back the next year. Plus, you guys at Villanova were located, and I went to LaSalle, so I was definitely and have always been part of the people that are like Villanova <laughs> is kind of Philly, like. <laughs> yeah,
3: but yeah, yeah, everybody no, in yeah. Philly
2: fully embraced you then. <laughs>
3: <laughs> nah, that you mean, were that's Philly. Definitely- that was right. I was about to say, I'm from South Philly. I, um, I graduated my last two years of high school. I went to my first high school at Martin Luther King up in uh, West Oak Lane. My last two years, I went to Lawman. We School back to ballard Kenwood. So I it, for me, like, to, yeah, exactly. So to stop hearing the whole, oh, he's not a Philly guy and it's not a Philly school thing was probably the most rewarding part for me, selfishly. Mm. But the day, like I said, it was great. It was great to do it, first and foremost, for Villanova. Um, but then you know, for the people in the city that did embrace us, it was great, and it was just one of those things that it it immediately turned into. It wasn't our championship, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was the Philly's championship, and that's what that's what we loved. You know what I mean? Like that we could go down Penn's Landing or somewhere like that. You would, you know, hear people congratulate you for it. People with temple gear on saying, man, y'all did a great city, that was cool. You know, that was, to, to, that was not to sound corny, but they talk about brotherly love, it's like, all right, it's good to see that it actually exists, you know.
2: Right, and that's something that regardless who you're, what school you represent in Philly, to see a Philly school go out and win a championship, that makes sense. It's kind of like you did it, you know, you're one of us, and you went out and won, you know. And then on top of that, Villanova has historically been, for men's basketball, a top program. You know, for years. You look back. You guys have won now three championships. You know, since you turned around and won again in 2018, you've been in six Final Fours. You have the eighth highest most NCAA tournament appearances in, in men's basketball. I mean, what made you? You talk about growing up in South Philly and then going to Lower Marion, being a Philly native. What made you really want to go to Villanova in the first place? You know, I know the the accolades aside, you get to co- play with Coach Jay Wright. You get to be a part of a big program, but what is it about Villanova basketball? Now that you've gone through the recruiting process as a player and even as a coach with Villanova, helping out from from that standpoint, what is it that sets Villanova apart to be so
3: accomplished? Um, in your opinion? <laughs> no, 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 no. I got you. I got you. Quite frankly, I had no intentions of going there. I, I will, I've openly said this a few times. I was a Temple guy. Oh. I was a Temple ah, guy. Okay. Yeah, I, I was very. I, I had several family ties there. Um, like I said, my first high school is Monster King, West Oak Lane, so you go, you know, fifteen minutes down down Broad Street and you're you're right at Temple. I was a Temple guy. And um I was never i, I love Nova. I have respect for it, but I knew it as Guard University. So, you know, it really it didn't feel like the place for me when I was in high school. I took a year of prep school up in Boston and Worcester Academy and my last four schools were at Villanova, Seton Hall, uh South Carolina and Utah and but I go on the visits, you know, like the, the recruiting process. Any any college kid will tell you, and anybody who's out of college, hopefully they have some thought to tell you that it's a bunch of winding and dining. You know, it's and there's mm. nothing wrong with that. That's part of the game. It has to be played. But it's a bunch of winding and dining. It's coaches telling you, you know, what's uh, what they're gonna do for you and what the plan is gonna be for you. And you know, rarely ever do you hear what you're giving back. You know what I mean? And I think that's a very underrated part of um, picking a college. It's like, all right, the school is going to offer you this, that, and the third. What is the school expecting from you in return? You know what I mean? And me and Coach Wright, uh, which was actually one of my last visits, where me and him first had our full-length conversation, it was in a dining hall on campus. So, you know, we went to the fancy dinner at that point, but me and him sat down in a dining hall on campus, had lunch together, and we talked about everything but basketball.
4: Oh, and I wow. talked
3: about giving back, talked about service and others. And I left that conversation. I told my mother, I was like, this is where I want to go. You know what I mean? This is who I want to be under. Not so much as a coach, um, but as a man. You know, I, I think as a man, I, I saw, thank God I saw very early on. He could see full circle. You know what I mean? Like, everybody could tell you, oh, yeah, we're going to let you shoot the three and we're going to let you do this and do that. Right, right. That, that's great. What happens if my knee blows out? You know, what do you expect me when I'm off the court? And those were all the things that we talked about. They actually had a presentation that focused on um, Life After Basketball and Villanova's network and different guys who had, you know, necessarily hadn't worked out with the NBA or overseas and what they were doing and, and things like that. And once I got a feel for that and that family feeling, you hear that thrown around a lot in sports, but once I saw that that was legitimate and that was honestly his scheme and how he wanted that program to be set up, um, and I got to see it even more as a coach this year, as you said. I was like, this is where I want to be. And I was one of those guys that blew my knee. I tore at LaSalle of all places, the irony. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> at LaSalle of
5: all places. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it, ain't, it ain't
3: nobody's fault. But whoever whoever finished the floor that day did a great job at uh at Oh, Buckley geez. Because I went up for a layup, got knocked out of the air. I came down my leg, got caught, and I tore my knee all up. ACL, mm. LCL, PCL. Ouch. And I ripped off my hamstring. And quite frankly, as of right now, my career is over. Um, right. And I can't say that I would be doing as well as I'm doing if I didn't go to Nova. You know what I mean? I had a coach that cared about me. Me and him were talking about my plans for media and stuff like that. He offered me a job on the spot as director of player development. You know what I mean? So that's that's why I chose Nova for the, the, the family feeling that uh, I'm proud to say is, is very real. You know, you have to pay dues and things like that. And, like I said, you have to give a lot to give, get a lot, but it's, it's been worth it, you know. Wow, wow. No,
2: that makes complete sense. And I think something you hit on with your conversation with Coach Wright, you know, when you were just going through the recruiting process and you still feel that same support and, and commitment and, and love to this day as an alumni. I mean, talk to me about Coach Wright because his his name is a household name. You know, I saw him doing – he was doing a commercial, but he's honestly – when you think of college basketball, you think of John Calipari, Calipari with Kentucky, you think of Coach K with Duke, you think of Boheim with Syracuse, you think of Jay Wright with Villanova. Like, he's one of the most recognized and honestly uh, well-liked, not even just well-known, but well-liked coaches. So, And you've had yeah. the chance to to work under him as a player, as a coach, for years now, and you talk about developing as a man, you know – not everyone gets that experience. What is it like being, you know, so close with Coach Dayright and, and how he has helped yourself as well as your teammates, whether they go to the NBA or they go overseas like you did, whether they just go and, and get a corporate job and become, you know, part of corporate America? How has he really helped, mm-hmm. in your opinion, with getting his players to that next step?
3: Um, he's one of those people that shows up, I can't help you. I'm going to put you in contact with somebody that can Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, he can he can help in a ton of ways, like you said, as far as guys being done their careers, guiding them through their basketball careers. You know, like Kyle Lowry, was, he had an injury, but he was supposed to be on the USA team. And him and Coach had, you know, spoke numerous times of things in and out of sports. And a lot of his lessons tie into real life. You know, a lot of his basketball lessons. And I think that's the beauty of sports um, in so many ways is sports has a has a very – the same way, like, superhero stories can show very real human emotions, sports mm-hmm. has a way of tying in very real and fundamental life lessons, you know, discipline, Um, you know, staying on top of, uh, of your work, putting work first and things like that, taking care of the people who take care of you, a teamwork atmosphere. And that's why it's funny if you look at the job force nowadays, so many jobs are trending towards hiring athletes because they yeah, understand so in today's workforce. You know, you have to be able to, to work in teams and work with people and understand and communicate things like that. So a lot of jobs are, are gearing towards that um, and finding athletes. And, like I said, sports has always done that. But he he seems to always, like i watch watched, you know, some of his old interviews or when I, you know, hear about his coaching scheme way back when from his players who come way before me, even his Hofstra days, you know, or his assistant mm-hmm. coaching days at NOVA. You want to go back, you know, this is the coaching days at UNLV. If I, I talk to those guys, he always seems to have a feel for that. You know, I feel like that's something he came here with, and um, he's definitely going to leave here with it. But it's just that is his, you know, every coach has an extension to what they can help their guys outside of, uh, outside of the game and what they expect from those guys outside of the game. And his is being a stand-up man uh, and a father uh, and a brother and a son, first of all, and then you're a good player. You know what I mean? That right. he that if you take care of those things, then you'll be a good player. So, you know what I mean? Like I said, I'm not about to paint him out to be some some angel. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's human, but he's a he's an extraordinary human. He's an extraordinary human being. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
2: know what? Something that really stands out that I love that you've been hitting on that, like I'm reading between the lines, is at Villanova, especially you know with Coach J. Wright, but even just the way that. That everything is set up around the basketball program. You're not cutting corners. You're going. I'm um, going to class on the subin. You're, go, you know, you're yeah. taking classes that are going to prepare you for whatever you want to do next. You know, you are learning life lessons. It's more than just basketball, which unfortunately not yeah. every program is that way. I mean, you talk about the whining and dining of the recruiting process. That continues throughout the four years for a lot of these guys, and no one's really helping prepare them for what's next. What happens if you blow your knee? What happens if you know you you go and yeah. you end up you're a bust in the NBA, and now you can't play. And although, you know, there have been several very big well-known players that have come through Villanova, Josh Hart being one of them, Jalen Brunson, you know, the list goes on and on, you know, it seems like it's more than just preparing you guys for the NBA or overseas, but also preparing you for, you know, what, all the things that could happen, you know, all the, the yes. steps that you could have to take next. So you have getting into yeah. media and now, being able to be yeah. on the other side of the camera in a different role, not as a player being interviewed, but now you know as a reporter as a host, you know, talk to me about that journey into now having your own your own network and your own show
3: it's It's been fun it's i mean I, quite frankly it's something i always I always knew I was going to do you know when I got there okay. um I always say this coach um Me going to NOVA was as much as Coach Wright as it was, a professor named Hezekiah Lewis. And he has a production company called um, Dekaya Productions named after his daughter. He focuses on Afrocentric films. He actually had a documentary class where the first semester they go abroad. So for my senior year when I was involved with the class, go to Johannesburg and and, uh, Cape Town and they mm-hmm. shot a story on a young woman, and they come back, and in the second half of the semester, it's all the production, and you get to see real time as a student what it's like to put together a documentary and, quite frankly, the stress and the, the, uh, the hustle that goes into it, but
5: you not that much more
3: well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. Like, it is a lot. Like, you're dealing with a real movie budget and things like that, and it's great, and all of that because of people who support the over. But anyway, um so, yeah, it's been, I always, I, when I met with him on my visit, actually that same day I met with Coach Wright, I was like, all right, this is perfect. This is this is what I, these are the two sides of the coin that I need. And I always thought I'd be doing this at 35, not 25. So that was kind of like a bit of a shock for me and kind of jumping into it head first the way that I did. But I didn't really have a choice. You know, like I said, I got hurt and it was like, listen, there, the doctor who told me, uh, the doctor who read off my, my injury list to me straight up said, there is a chance you'll never play again. You know what I mean? Wow. I was just like, oh, okay. Like, he did great with sensitivity training. Thank you for walking me into yeah. that. But he he straight up told wow. me, like, you might not ever play again. Um, and I appreciate him being okay. it real. It's just, yeah. yeah, I was about to say, he kept it real. I was like, damn, <laughs>
6: dog, he could have given me
3: a, a, a day or two, you know. But he was honest, you know, and it was it was the truth there was a chance, and there still is a chance. You know, I really don't know. So to jump into this head first has been humbling. Humbling, I guess, is the first word I want to leave with because I definitely learned, you know, as an athlete, you learn that your confidence is your best friend, and I believe the same thing in media, but you also have a, have a sense of humility about you to understand that you don't know everything. But the beauty of it was I got to line up a lot of the mistakes I made in basketball and then apply it to media, and I think that's what's Uh, helped the success uh, thus far, you know, just kind of leaning on, all right, last time I was in this situation, maybe it wasn't an interview for a company or maybe it wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, a uh, a pitch for my production company. Maybe it was a tryout for a team, and you made this mistake, that mistake, that mistake. Now, if you take that same knowledge and apply it to where you are now, you'll get over that hump, you know. And I looked at a lot of the things that happened in my basketball career as kind of a, a, a prep for where I'm at now because, quite frankly, I do believe that this is what I'm supposed to be doing even more than basketball, and this is my calling more than anything. But I kind of had to go through some bumps and bruises with uh, basketball. And obviously a lot of rewards, but just bumps and bruises that I get to see now second time around. And it's like, it's helped. Like I said, it's been humbling. It's been fun as hell. I would never say this isn't fun. You know, I, I get to talk to people about sports and understand how their real emotions tie in with so much of who they are as an athlete, and I'm I'm having a blast with it. You know what I mean?
2: Wow. You know what? I feel that personally because I always tell people that what drove me to become an All-American professional soccer player is the same thing that drives me as a reporter. You know, like the drive is still the same. It's just different kinds of work that you're doing. And I know, like, I yeah, also yeah, yeah. had injuries and things like that, and I also look back on my career and can look at it, the shortcomings and the ways that I maybe was, even wasn't as good as I could have been or whatever it may be, and now I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to do the same thing. And that's something that when you talk mm-hmm. about, even in the beginning of this conversation you mentioned how jobs are looking for student athletes, it's because of those exa- exact things that you hit on. You know, you, ha- you know what it takes to be successful. You know what it takes to be on a winning team. You know what it takes – you know, to overcome adversity and, and to push yourselves and make your weaknesses your strengths, things like that. So that is something yeah. that not everybody understands because, you know, you've been a part of the grind of getting up early in the morning, having two days, three days, whatever it may be, um, yeah. and just and pushing through all of it. So that, that is yeah. really incredible. And I, I see you're doing some great things, so I'm excited for you. So where can people follow all that you you've got well. going on? You're everywhere,
3: it seems like. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we want to distribute the show mostly digitally, so we're actually working on Season 2 right now. It's funny, we actually shoot uh, every – we're going to shoot for the next six weeks every Tuesday at 7.30. Um, uh, but they can follow me on the the page, Stay Tuned Network page on Instagram as well as Twitter. We'll be releasing over Facebook Watch, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, you know, you type in Stay Tuned with D-Ray on YouTube and episodes will pop up. Uh, like I said, I want to I wanna really start utilizing all the, the digital platforms and the IGTVs mm-hmm. and the Facebook watches of the world to kind of distribute the show. Uh, Philadelphia Sports Nation is a sh- uh, site that I write for, and this season, although we're going to cover interviews, obviously, visually um, and release it over the podcast. Oh, yeah, sorry, the podcast is on Spotify <laughs> and Apple Music and Google. Uh, stay tuned with D-Ray for the podcast, but I'm also going to start to write about it, too. You know, I've I nice. really always had a passion for writing. Yeah, when I got to college, they wanted me to be an English major, and I was like, eh, I, I need eh. to behind it, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 okay. it's just for me, I, I needed a bit more, but, you know, yeah. I was like, but I do I do love it. it. I do have a passion. I do have a passion for writing, and um, I'm going to write about the episodes as well. You know, it's kind of, I feel like it turned into a lost art to kind of sit down and read an article, so It'll be featured on Philadelphia Sports Nation, um, and that's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it for right now. Awesome. Sounds like you're
2: also in the making of, who knows, writing your own book. You like writing. You've got a story to tell. Oh, You've got a journey. You beat did me I spoil too. anything?
3: Yes. I did. Yes, 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 yes. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to segue into it. Uh, but, yeah, I'm writing a book. It's gonna, I'm going to write eight books. Um, oh,
2: you're really writing a book right now?
3: Inside. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm so. Well, I already have one done. Uh, yeah, we're trying okay. to figure out. I obviously have to. Yeah, I, got, I I have to figure out. It's like it's funny. I'm learning different games now. I have to figure out the publishing and the, the distribution game of being an author. But um, eight books I've written. One, I guess. I guess to be fair, one and a half. Um, none of them are going to be alike or the same necessarily. They're all going to kind of tackle different things. But uh, over the next. I can't put a date on that. Over the next, let's mm. say, couple decades, I'm going to be releasing eight books. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm trying to get one out this next year, the one I'm most excited about. It's kind of like autobiography slash self-help. Um, mm, okay. But stay tuned for that. Yeah, but stay tuned for that. Like, I can't. There you go.
2: I knew it. I was getting author vibes, too, as you are talking about how you enjoy writing and how you, I mean, your story in general is something, you know, one to tell, so all right. Lot, like I said, you've got a lot going on, which is always a good thing. Staying busy and, and uh, constantly on your grind, that's always a good thing. So thank you so much for joining me on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington this week. It has been a pleasure. I knew it was going to be good once, you know, once you agreed to come on. I wanted to definitely hear your perspective about Villanova and then all that you're doing. So thank you so much.
3: No, thank you for having me on. Thank you for having me on. And, and thank you for, for understanding. You know, I, I love when I see athletes – you know, take the time to understand both sides and really appreciate both sides. So, thank you for for keeping that vision. And definitely, please keep this. This is a great show. This is this is one of the more uh, therapeutic interviews I've done. So, thank oh, you. Oh,
2: <laughs> I'm glad I could help. No problem.
4: What up? This is Isaiah Lee. Right now, you are tuned in to Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. Only streaming on Fox Sports, 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, and Google Play. I'm a rap artist from Delaware, but I got a brand called Motivators. The whole brand, Motivators, means no matter what, if you take a loss, you're going to bounce back. Just got to keep a positive mindset and keep everything together and you're going to make it. You can follow my Instagram, social media, Isaiah Lee Music, I-S-A-I-A-H-L-E-E-M-U-S-I-C. Motivates!
2: It's Rudy Gonzalez joining Beyond the Headlines with Vinay
0: Washington this week. Rudy, welcome to the show.
4: Uh, Thank you for the invite.
0: Let's get right into it. So for those of you listening that do not know, in soccer, people have the opportunity to get what's called coaching licenses, starting with your F license, E, all the way up to A license, which is what Rudy Gonzalez, what you have. It allows people to be able to, uh, specifically coaches, and honestly, for whoever wants to get them, learn more about the game, study the game. You work alongside other coaches from youth to the collegiate and professional level, You do workshops, you do trainings, more hands-on. You know, The higher up you get, the more intense the courses are, the longer the courses are. So this week, our guest, Rudy Gonzalez, you have your UEFA A license, which means you have gone through all the courses and uh, have now been able to achieve the top-level coaching course. And that experience has definitely helped you in your work. So talk to us a little bit about what you look to do as a coach to give back to the next generation and teach them about the game of soccer?
5: I remember when I first started, I, I thought that I knew a lot about soccer, but in reality, uh, I didn't. So (laughs) I said, you know what, what if I try to do something to help out, uh, young coaches that want to learn and at the Mm -hmm. same time try to help, uh, Players and stuff like that. Uh, if they have any questions, how they can improve and stuff like that. So that's that's why, that that was the main main idea.
2: Awesome, awesome. Now you are a UEFA a licensed coach. You have you know you coach college, so you do definitely have the background and knowledge that a lot of people just do may not have. You know, do you have a lot of people that reach out to you and kind of ask questions or? Or give you good feedback.
5: Uh, yeah, there's uh, actually I got I have a lot of questions from people trying to see uh, how can they improve. When they they ask me like specific question if they're struggling with they with something. They they reach out to me and say, "How can can we get better and stuff like that?" So mm, gotcha. uh, I, I I yeah I try to uh, be open and try to answer all the questions that I can. So I'm trying to be as helpful as I can.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And I know even for me, I still coach youth soccer. And I was like, wow, this is even something that's a great tool I could show my players. You know, maybe they have questions, whether it be on the formation or, or maybe they are looking for things like drills or something they can do on their own or whatever it may be. It's something that it's helpful for not only coaches, but players maybe get some more information on soccer, which, let's be honest, there's not a lot of outlets. I know like YouTube is a good spot to go for looking up things but there's not a lot of spots to really go and learn more about the game because it's, especially in America, it's not really as, you know, widely discussed and, and publicized across our country. Uh, that yes, that, and that actually, is
5: awesome. That's one of the things, because uh, like you said, I had my WEPA A license. I I was lucky enough to do a master's in Barcelona and then went back and did a, uh, uh, my WEPA a B and then my website, a and mm-hmm. uh throughout that time, I met a lot of people and mm-hmm. i in order to have that license, you have to actually move to Europe and get it over there so um, since I'm a spanish speaking person, I went to Spain, and I luckily I got in contact with a lot of uh professional coaches and players and that's when I started, and I learned a lot from them. And it's, it's a lot different here in the States because over there they, they focus on the technical and physical, but mostly on the mental aspect too. On, on, uh, they try to teach uh, the, uh, the fundamentals, but they, they also want mm-hmm. the players to be smart and learn the game and learn to, to read different uh, aspects of the game. So
2: you
5: know what, that makes sense uh, to me. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah. that's why they're so advanced, because uh, they, they're smarter. They don't have to uh, use a lot of strength, and they save a lot of energy by playing smart. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. sense.
2: No, absolutely. I mean, a lot of soccer is, like, the tactical side of it. If you can kind of, you know, anticipate, read the game well, Understand the movements of where you should be off the ball. All those things make you a, a much better soccer player. When you when I think about at the youth level specifically, you know a lot of American soccer players that I see, that's actually where they struggle. You know they there's a lot of focus on the technical side of things and having a good first touch. But what about when you don't have the ball at your feet? You know that, that quote about like for you know in a soccer game you're gonna, you you do not have the you only have the ball maybe at your feet two to three minutes total. You know, if you add up all the times that you you have the ball at your feet. So what are you doing the other, you know, depending on how long your game is, of course, you know, the other 88 minutes of the game or 85 minutes of the game when you don't have the ball at your feet. And that is, that's a struggle for a lot of American soccer players is to, to be able to think the game through and, and that mental component.
0: Oh, wow. I believe yeah. that. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about you and your work as a coach, but I think we have to also note that you primarily work with women's soccer players. What made you decide to focus on the women's game versus helping out as a coach on the men's side?
5: Um, to help them out, not just uh, with soccer, but education and, you know, get them all involved with uh, the administration aspect of, of, of the game as well. Oh, but, that's um, awesome. Yeah, because we, we want to empower uh, our are, are women, and we want them in the future to be coaches and be successful in soccer or in other aspects because we, uh, our end goal is for them to get, if they want to get education, go to school, help them with that because sometimes uh, a lot of people don't have. Uh, mentors or somebody that can help them, and sometimes that's all we need, somebody who can be there for us and uh, can help us and guide us a little bit. Yeah, without and, a doubt,
2: and I, that's a great point.
5: Yeah, and um, luckily in Spain, everybody everybody knows a lot about soccer. Um, for example, uh, I remember my my professors, when I was uh, doing my WESA A, most of them had a BA in kinesiology, and they'll have their coaching license, and they, they also had a master's in soccer. So that's why they're so oh, advanced. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: I didn't even know you could get a master's in soccer. I know that's something that until prior to our conversation, and you know, I, I played soccer in college and professionally, and I had no idea because I don't think it's anywhere in the United States, and I could be wrong, but you act you there are actual programs where you can just study soccer for a master's degree. I mean I've heard of coaching licenses, of course I have one um, but what is the soccer masters program like? Is that more focused on like a step further than what you get at a coaching course
5: uh because yes, even my the my license uh it was a, a year. Round program. It, was, it took me nine months to to, to get my my license. So uh, there were 14 courses, and uh, we had to learn about nutrition, uh, like uh, anatomy, uh, CPR, uh, but at the same time, you have to learn technique, tactical. Uh, you have to learn the law and uh how to integrate teams how to take uh the best out of the player psychology it's it it's it's a it's a it's a lot uh a lot of people when they when they ask me oh so so you so you going to school to study soccer they 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 ask the same things that you used to ask they they were shocked because they never thought that you could actually learn something or or that that you can take a whole year learning about just soccer. Because when we see it on TV, we think it's so simple, and and we don't we don't pay attention to all the things that uh, surround soccer. But actually yeah, you I, can.
2: I, I have no idea.
5: Yeah, there's there's a lot, and once you start integrating those little details, uh, you become a better better coach and and better teacher. And one of the things that I like about Spain is that they focus a lot about uh, teaching social values. And I think that's why they make uh, their, their players better because mm-hmm. they teach them to be humble and to be respectful towards players, threats, crowd, And I think that's something that, that when you learn from them and try to implement it here in the States because uh, soccer can be used as a tool to to educate people. It's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I know it's a sport, but uh, if we educate our youth through soccer, we can do so much.
2: Yeah, that's,
5: that's so true.
2: I mean, it's, it's a tool. You know, it's, all sports are a tool to be able to learn some life skills, to develop relationships, social skills. Um, you know, it's more than just the physical of what you're doing on the field or court. Now, for soccer, you have had the opportunity to, you know, study it, coach it at the collegiate level, um, and also to meet a lot of players and coaches through interviews and, and conversations you've had. You know, so what it, how has that all really impacted kind of how you now look to give back through coaching and, and mentoring women's soccer players? So now I want to empower them to go on and, and take – all of the resources and tools they can possibly get from soccer on and off the field to be better individuals, and whether fitness, soccer, life lessons, whatever it may be what are some of the main things that you really try to teach them?
5: Everything, uh, but I usually try to do step by step. Uh, I see one of the things that uh, American coaches do, and uh, they, they, they 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 try to teach too much, and they overwhelm the players. So I try mm. to break it down and make it simple, because uh, sometimes uh, American coaches uh, they tend to complicate things for players. And soccer, if you pay attention, is not that complicated. It's uh, eleven v eleven, one soccer, one soccer ball, and you try to shoot it to the other goal. So sometimes we right. try to complicate <laughs> things. Yes, and, and 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 we make it harder than what it is. So we confuse our players. So first, the first thing is that I try to simplify everything as much as I can and make it in a way that they can understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I like that. at the same yes, at the same time, um, I use soccer to teach them to uh, be team players uh, to try to uh, work with each other and support each other. If somebody makes a mistake; they they need support instead of to blame. And, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I teach uh, to play as a team. Everybody has their job. Everybody should know what to do when we have a ball. When we lose the ball, everybody has a, another job. So, so I teach that, too. So I I spend the summer going to the San Jose earthquake uh, training okay. with um, Matias Almeida. He's, a, he's one of my favorite coaches. He's a great person, and, and I really admire him. So I... I, I got to spend time with them, and and I learned a lot from, from 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 them too. He's from Argentina, so the Argentina side is really interesting too because it's focused on the physical and and tactical aspects as well. So that's one of the mm-hmm. other things that I've been implementing in my training. The this, the 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 style from Argentina.
2: Right, right. I love that. You're always learning. You know, the learning never stops whether you're in the classroom or, or out, like you mentioned, having conversations with people. Even, like, just now I just learned about you can get your master's in soccer. Like, you're always learning, especially within sports, if you want to continue to grow like you have done to be, you know, licensed at the highest level. And you have to continue to learn to be able to develop your own individual skills and knowledge to help pay it forward to you know, teach someone else. Rudy, thank you so much for joining Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington this week. I've really enjoyed, you know, getting the opportunity to hear about, you know, with with all that you're looking to teach and empower specifically in women's soccer, since as a former women's soccer player, that's all near and dear to my heart to see someone out there in the community working to help other female soccer players. So thank you so much for joining the show and for for sharing insight on what you're doing.
5: No, thank you for your time and and
1: I hope to to stay in touch with you. This is beyond the headline. Listen. To this. What up, though? This is
4: beyond the headline. Yeah it is. Go. <laughs> Good afternoon, people. I hope you guys enjoyed your holiday week and I enjoyed mine. My name is Rocky the Promoter, and when I'm not rocking the hottest clubs in the tri-state I'm getting the people excited for Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington each and every Wednesday. I want to thank you guys for the continued support. And just be sure to catch us each and every Wednesday on Fox Sports Radio, wherever you listen to sports. 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes and Google Play.
0: Preseason is over. Football is back. Everyone, the NFL kicks off this week in Week One as Aaron Rodgers and the Packers take on Khalil Mack, Mitch Trubisky, and the Bears Thursday night. It's time to finally stop talking and see what these guys can do. How will all the offseason changes? Between the draft, we saw trades, we saw free agency moves that just shocked the country. How will all these impact teams across the league? And most recently, of course, last week we saw LaShawn Shady McCoy is no longer with the Bills and signed a one-year contract with his former coach, Big Red, Andy Reid, and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, who will win each division this year? Who will be the last two teams standing in the Super Bowl in February? And will someone... Anybody other than Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots win it all. Guys, it all starts this week. So, of course, we also have to start fantasy football with Will Morgan. Will?
1: Thank you, Renee. Welcome, everyone. I'm William Morgan. I am host of our newest podcast segment, Will's Fantasy Footballers. I will bring you a player each week that can help you win your fantasy week. The player I love this week is Kenny Galladay. The four, 213-pound receiver from Northern Illinois has a prime matchup against the Arizona Cardinals this week. With Patrick Peterson not playing due to a four-game suspension, Galladay should feast here, and he should be in your lineup for Week 1. That's going to do it for me this week. I will see you guys in Week 2. Renee, back to you.
0: Thank you, Will, and I just want to take this moment to say something very, very important. Let's go, Eagles. Week one, Redskins are going down. I'm saying it here. I think we'll win by seven. This has now become a betting segment, too. <laughs> but, nah, I'm excited for this season to get started. Finally, it's game time. Let's go. Put up or shut up. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. All right, all right, I'm done. Back to the show. <laughs>
1: Only on Beyond the Headlines, this is Beyond the Headlines. (laughs) Only on Beyond the Headlines, this is Beyond the Headlines. (laughs) Only on Beyond the Headlines, this is Beyond the Headlines. With Renee Washington.
2: It's time for our Positive Vibes Only segment here on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. Joining me this week, we have Paul Lamar Hunter. He's an author and he's also... One of 21 children, the 19th of 21, and the first of his family to graduate from college. Paul, welcome to the show.
6: Hey, um, thank you for having me on, and I am excited to be on your show.
2: Thank you, thank you. I I have to. I have so many questions. I don't even know where to begin. So let's <laughs> go back to your childhood. There are you have 20 siblings, and they're all full siblings, no halves or step siblings.
6: All four siblings. Um, My mother uh, birthed 21 natural children by my father, so if you will do the math and break it down, you will discover that my mom stayed pregnant for 15 years, nine months. So as of today, there are 17 children living today, 63 grandchildren, and 87 great-grandchildren.
2: Wow. So I have to ask, and I'm sorry, but how young was your mom when she first started having kids? I mean, I can only imagine having so many kids and actually being pregnant for, as you mentioned, 15 years and going through labor 21 times. How young was she when she started having children?
6: When my mom started having kids, she was uh, 17 and a half um, years old. Okay. She started having um, kids. She was born in the South in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So you know, back then that that was the norm for people to absolutely. have families.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. That is that was definitely the normal age. So take me through your your childhood growing up in such a large family, and I know you did unfortunately, you know, have some some rough childhood experiences. Can you talk to me a little bit about that?
6: Well, you know, my my first seven years were, was great because my mom and dad was both in the house uh, my dad was working on uh, two jobs my mom worked a part-time job but you know in that seventh year we dealt with back-to-back deaths in our family so in 1976 my brother Thomas died in a house fire then oh, that following year in 1977 my father died in a car crash so it sent a shockwave through the Hunter um, family. And so my mother had to become the commander-in-chief, and also a lot of my siblings had to forego their education because they had to stay at home with the young ones, and that's including mm-hmm. um, they had to watch over us, made sure that um, um, that we went off to school and also when we got home that they had dinner prepared for us. So, you know, I give a lot of credit to a lot of my um, siblings, but, you know, they had to make a sacrifice um, for us.
2: And, you know, you hit on a couple of things that really stand out to me, and I know you were the first of your siblings to graduate from college. Um, something that really stands out is during that time, that was very normal. You know unfortunately, you did have two tragedies losing your brother and your father in such a close amount of time, forcing you guys to make that move earlier. But when I think about a lot of my own relatives and even family you know families that I know, it was a lot of um, people a lot of people were sacrificing their own education to to work at a young age and to provide at a young age. So it wasn't you know nowadays I think a lot more people are you know more on the education track of the typical you go to high school, then college, then maybe even grad you know get your master's, but at that time that wasn't the norm, even you know specifically within black families, to have a lot of people that went off to college, even finished high school. So that is you know a, t- a huge testament to your siblings and your mother for having to step up and provide so much for such a large family. Were you guys very close growing up? A lot of like yeah. childhood games and uh, <laughs> fun, you know, <laughs> memories of holidays and things like that.
6: Yeah. See, one of the things that we used to do, we used to love to um, we used to love to play kickball in the backyard. Mm, we used to, okay. love to play uh, football. Also, we loved to put together um, puzzles. Um, so we we did a lot of activities um, inside and outside of our home and in the community. The community um wisconsin where i was born and raised they were very good uh to the hunter family there were times when we did not have any um christmas gifts but the community Mm -hmm. would let people you know unexpected people in the community would come and knock on the door and then Mm -hmm. and leave but they would leave gifts at the doors at the door for us and that could be the front door or the back door. So the community, Racine, Wisconsin, was very good to the Harner family when we were going through our trials and tribulations.
2: Yeah, and something, I mean, I, I can only imagine, it does take a village when you have such a large family, especially, you know, with a, a, a single-parent household. So yes. growing up, you did deal with poverty, and you did deal with, you know, a lot of um, adversity and challenges. You know, what was there a time where you, it really felt like your mom was able to get on her feet and maybe you guys were able to, you know, get, have a, a better support system, better, you know, more thing provided for you within the household? Or was it, you know, from the moment or from after your dad's passing and your brother's passing, it was just a struggle from there on moving forward?
6: It, it was a struggle after my dad had passed away. It mm. really was a struggle. My dad worked two jobs. He worked 16 hours a day. And, you know, yeah. I think on the weekend he had time to play with my mom, if you know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, we didn't have to, yeah, with 21 kids, there was some time being made.
6: <laughs> you know, oh, like I, uh, a, after he had passed away, that's when things had went downhill. But let me say this. I am blessed. I don't have no regrets. The way I was raised, because it made me the person that I am today—a very humble person. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's no regrets. And If you ask any of my siblings, they will say the exact same thing. That there's no regrets. You know, it made us a very close family. We still talk together. You know, on, on the on the telephone, on, on social media, we we communicate. You know, um, I was out in um, last year. I was out in Los Angeles, California, and we did um, Vivica A. Fox show Face the Truth, and they flew us out there, some of my siblings and myself, and we did her show Face, you know, Face the Truth. And and my siblings will tell you, hey, there's no regrets. You know, we Uh were family, and that means that a family is going to have functional good times and dysfunctional Mm -hmm. bad times, but that's the way, that's the way it is. But we get over um, those dysfunctional moments because the love that we have for each other.
2: Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, when you talk about family that it's not perfect, family's never perfect. There will be moments of, you know, where you guys aren't getting along or whatever it may be, but you have, you, you have what sounds like a very strong family and loving family around you. So you talk about having no regrets. You know, you've been on the Vivica, Fox, Vivica Fox's show, Face the Truth, and that's a huge testament to the fact that you're an author. You wrote an autobiography. Um, so let's get into your autobiography, No Love, No Charity, The Success of the Nineteenth Child and, and what that book is all about.
6: Well, no love, no charity. The cess of the nineteen child. It deals. It it deals with my life. It chronicles my life, my interaction with my with my siblings, with my mom, and also um, with my with my dad as well. Because, like I indicated, I only had eight years with my dad, and those uh-huh. were the best years. But my book is a it's a parenting book. It's an inspirational book it's a guide that will help parents to become better parents the reason why i wrote the book is because there's an author named dr dennis james woods he wrote my mom's book which is love and charity the life story of louise hunter in the love and charity homeless shelter because see my mother made history in the state of wisconsin because she started the first homeless shelter in the city of Racine, Wisconsin. So she was able to become a great humanitarian and also work with the disenfranchised people in the community. Mm-hmm. So wow. that was the, why I wrote the book to give people detailed information into the life of the hunter children to let them know that yes, yes, you know, we just are ordinary family. We're going to have good times and we're going to have bad times, but we are ordinary family and, and that um, we're going to have, like I stated, our good times and our bad times.
2: So I love the way you titled your book, then, because it's, it's a playoff of your mom's book kind of in, in oh, that, the wording of it.
6: Yes, yes, it is. And I, I, and I have to say this, both books, Um, Love and Charity, The Life Story of Louise Hunter, written by um, Dr. Dennis James Woods, In No Love, No Charity, The Success of the Nineteen Child, written by me. Both books, you know, have been adapted into a screenplay. So I'm just, I am thrilled. I never imagined in my life that my mom's book and my book will be um, adapted into a screenplay.
2: Wow. So then I have to ask, if you had because people always, you know, jokingly say, I want so and so to play me in my in my in a movie about me. If you had to pick one actor to play you, who would it be? I'm putting you on the spot.
6: Well, I think I, I think a good guy that would play me, he um he played in Finding Forrester. I don't know if you remember that movie, Finding Forrester. Oh, yeah. and he, I can't recall the uh, the young black man's name, but he was a very good um, very good actor. And a person that would really play my mom, I have to say this is um, Cicely Tyson and Vivica Ooh.
2: A. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, and they fit kind of her personality.
6: Yes, her personality. Yes.
2: Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, that would be so cool. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear that you know this is really only just the beginning for you. You know, you're doing a lot more great things. You you know, your book is just kind of like the beginning of of this next step for you, a next chapter in in your life. And you know, you are an author, but your story extends way beyond the the words in your autobiography. So you know, what's kind of you talk about the book being made into a screenplay? What's been the next step for you? You know, as a, as a writer. And as a family man and as someone that's trying to help, you know, other parents and, and and their families to be better mothers or fathers or spouses, what's next for you?
6: Well, basically what I have been doing is I have been uh, – I try to get out once or twice out of the month. I try to leave and go to a different state and speak at um, the Boys and Girls Club. And I just left Hawaii last week. I was in Hawaii and I spoke to over two hundred children at the boys and club, the boys and the boys and girls club in Hawaii, and I talk about the art of success. And I wanted mm. the kids to know that if they want to master the art of success, that they have to have ambition, vision, and discipline. And so I was able to talk about my life and how I applied those three elements into my life and i wanted them to duplicate what i did in my life by implying um applying um, ambition vision and discipline into their life if they want to become successful so after i got done um speaking um a lot of the kids came up to me because they had a lot of questions because they Mm -hmm. they the mom did not graduate from high school the dad you know, only has a GED, and, and, and the mom and dad doesn't build them up. And I tell, and I had to uh, inform them, you have some time what you have to do. You have to build yourself up. You have to encourage yourself. And, and I had to do that for myself because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I came from a big family. But, yes, but you know what, baby? I had low self-esteem. I thought I was ugly. I I thought I was mm.
5: dumb.
6: I couldn't write. But you know what? Every morning when I got up, I used to go run into the bathroom, look in the mirror, and say, "I'm beautiful. I'm gorgeous. I'm smart. I'm a writer. I can articulate." So, I wanted them to build themselves up. And right. and it was it, it was great speaking. To those young men and, and women, just pouring encouragement and positive words into their life.
2: Wow, that is incredible. That's very incredible. Now, where can our listeners find you on social media and just find more well, information?
6: For more information, you can go to my uh, website, PaulLamarHunter.com. Also, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, and if people want to get a copy of my mother's book, Love and Charity, the uh, Love and Charity, um, the life story of Louise Hunter, and No Love, No Charity, the success of the 19 child, both books are at Barnes and Noble's and Amazon.com website, and it's also available on Apple and iTunes as well.
2: Wow, thank you so much, Paul. I really look forward to seeing what's next for, for your story and seeing it become a screenplay and hopefully even getting a chance to see it in myself. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. I really do enjoy you joining us on our Positive Vibes Only segment this week because you do have a tremendous you know, story and what you've overcome and, and really what you're doing now to help encourage and inspire others, whether they're kids or adults. So thank you so
6: much. Hey, thank you for having me on and God bless.
0: And just like that, we are already coming to the end of another episode of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. As your host, I hope that you really, truly enjoyed this week's episode and that each week you are excited to tune in to hear more stories and interviews just like these from Daryl Reynolds sharing exciting stories and his perspective being a part of an NCAA championship, and also being able to coach and play with the legendary Jay Wright at Villanova, plus Rudy Gonzalez, who has had the opportunity to coach and learn soccer at the highest level in not only the United States, but also in Spain, and his comparison on European soccer versus American soccer, plus... We had our positive vibes only segment wow i would i love big families i can only imagine what it's like to grow up in a big family with 20 siblings and paul lamar hunter shared some inside stories and information on his childhood dealing with tragedy growing up in a single parent household after the tragic passing of his father and brother and then also his work now as a writer and hopefully Seeing a screenplay come soon, I know I would look forward to watching it. Plus, fantasy football, guys. I hope you're ready for all of you fantasy footballers each week as Will Morgan shares his player to watch and keep an eye on starting this week with Kenny Galladay with the Detroit Lions. Now, without further ado, to close the show... We've got Isaiah Lee. He's an inspirational rapper. He's not just making music. He's inspiring with his music and looking to inspire the next generation through his talents. He's been rapping since he was 15 years old in Delaware, and he's got Get Right For Us. So... Before we let Isaiah Lee take it away, just want to remind you guys to follow us on all social media, on Beyond the Headlines, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, our website. Also follow my personal pages, at Renee P. Wash on Twitter, at Renee P. Washington on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, if you do not already know, because I've been talking about it almost every day, my birthday is Saturday, September 7th. So by the time we get to lucky number episode 10... I will be a whole year older, or a couple days older, but you know what I mean. So uh, I'm looking forward to the birthday edition next week, and I hope you are too. Have a tremendous rest of your week. I know I am going to be enjoying it. Great weather. September is here already summer's gone guys that's it's sad but it's bittersweet as we now get into fall weather pumpkins and hay rides and all that good stuff apple pie and all the things that we love so i hope you enjoy your first week of september for those of you with kids going back to school or who have gone back to school have a great start to your school year as you rocked your incredible first day of school outfits that i've been seeing on social media <laughs> but without further ado Let's listen to Get Right by Isaiah Lee. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. I look forward to seeing you right back here next week on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. Adios.
4: Nowadays, want to judge you on what they think you should do. Before they judge you, tell them to get right. You say you got it all, will not see much. You got it for your shit, bitch, you messing up. Judge, better get right, before you start judging, better get right. Before you start judging, better get right. Before you start judging, better, right. better get right. You don't even know me, but you still, hey, still, hey. You talking like you know me. Try and go and tell me run my life huh? Want to tell me how to win and how to get it right huh? You gon' tell me how to dress and how to stay cheap Fall back, live your life and let me do me I ain't never met you, but you actin' like you know me We ain't never been in nothing Why you actin' like my homie? Put my business in the air Yeah. I had this deck for a bet and get my money right I was dressing for a check and what to eat at night It's just I had to see you later I'm on, on the wheel so I'm riding like a skater Every day is grind time so I go to work before you start to blow